So I have a question for you all. When was the last time you went to buy some Tylenol, some painkillers? It's not something that we shop for very often, but a couple of months ago, I had a splitting headache, and you know what? That's not one thing you want to be without, right, when you have a headache. So I went to the store, I think it was Walmart, and uh, just to buy some Tylenol, and I stood in front of the section where they have all of the painkillers. And you know what? I have to be honest, I was completely confused. Absolutely. Uh, if you've never stood in front of that painkiller selection, here's what it looks like. Did you know that there's painkillers for joints, for your back, for sinuses, for congestion, for your fever, for your throat? There's painkillers for regular pain, intense pain, severe pain, swelling pain, arthritis pain, muscle pain, body pain, complete relief pain. That's what you could get. Is this not confusing? There's also pain relief for nighttime pain or for daytime pain in case that's when you do get that pain and not at the other time. There was strengths of pain relief. There is regular strength, extra strength, intense strength, immediate acting, fast acting, fast relief, rapid relief, ultra relief, slow acting, small bottles, and then you even have the value pack with over 200 pills in it. I was completely confused. Are you not confused? What would you pick, right? If you were there and you just wanted something for your headache, right? So I picked up, finally, a little bottle, took some painkillers, and I was just okay. But I stood there and I thought, wow, there's a lot of pain in the world. There's a lot of pain that we need to get rid of. And I thought, maybe this is a little bit, you know, how we feel in life sometimes. That we just cannot handle pain. Right? As I stood in front there, I thought, there's just a lot of pain. And in general, that's true. There's just a lot of pain in this world. If you think about your life, right? And, and if I think about my life, pain is not something that I run to. Suffering is not something that I run towards. There's not some things that I run towards that would, that I want to run toward that would make me feel uncomfortable, right? Or difficult situations or difficult circumstances. We want to avoid pain. We don't do well with pain. We don't do well with emotional pain. We don't do well with hurt or agony. We don't do well with just the things in life that are difficult. In general, this is the way we feel, isn't it? I certainly feel this way. And I think here's the reason, maybe because we think that there's not much good that can come from suffering. There's not much benefit that can come from being in a situation or circumstance where we're struggling or where we have sorrow or maybe where we just have a hard season in life or a hard situation or hard circumstances. We just, we just don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. Because what good can come from going there? from encountering that, from facing that. We brush things under the rug, at times pretending that they go away, but really they don't go away. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where you feel sorrow, you feel pain, you feel suffering? Maybe that's what you're in right now. The, your emotions are just right there at the surface. Your soul feels overwhelmed. 
As you look at the, ahead at the situation that you're facing or the conversation or the relationship or whatever it is, you don't want to face it. Could be any number of things. Any number of things. Could be just, you know, breaking up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Could be you're not doing so well in school these days. It might be difficult relationship with a friend. Might be you're giving your marriage just one more chance. But you're already on the you don't know how many chances. Could be signing up for Freedom Session or AA or NA. Could be an appointment with your doctor and you know that things are not going well inside of you. You know that appointment. You're not looking forward to it. You don't, you don't want the news that you might hear. Could be any number of things. Could be confessing sin. You just don't want to do that. I hear often of parents of adult children and they're just estranged from their children. Maybe it's you taking that first step towards reconciliation. It's uncomfortable. You don't want to. It's painful. You don't know what you're going to encounter. You don't know what it might entail. We've all experienced a time in life or we will experience a time in our lives where the circumstances that we're looking at, that we're facing, that are in front of us, circumstances that we're facing and the desires of our heart conflict, right? The desires of our heart is, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to face that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to step into that. There's a gap right there between the circumstances that we're facing and the desires of our heart. Well, Jesus experienced this very thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before his crucifixion, he experienced this very thing. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46, that's where we are today. Jesus faces agony. He faces suffering. He faces turmoil like no person has ever experienced or will experience. The circumstances of his life, the spiritual battle raging in the heavenly realms, the the conflict that was going to be taking place through the religious leaders and the government leaders in Jerusalem of that day, the inner battle of torment and suffering that Jesus was feeling. All of this was overwhelming for him. He knew what the next hours held for him. And the desire of his heart was, I don't want to do that. Please, is there any other option? Please, is there any other way? There was a gap between the circumstances that he was facing and the desires of his heart. A battle was going on. There was a fight taking place. I want to read these 10 verses for us. And so if if you're able to, at each one of our campus locations, Northwest and Bridgeland and Airdrie and South Campus, you here in the room, those of you watching online, joining us online, if you're able to, would you stand in reverence for God's word, in respect for his word, Let me read these 10 verses for us. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going in a little further, he, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. And then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here my betrayer comes. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love your word, your ancient word, that has truth contained in it. Truth about who you are, God. Truth about your plan. Truth about your agenda to redeem and rescue the world. Truth about Jesus, who he is and what he did for us. May we hear your truth spoken into our lives today. Give us knowledge. Give us revelation. Give us insight. Teach us how to live. Teach us how we then ought to live as people who are redeemed, who are saved, who are rescued, who are righteous because of what you have done, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you faced the cross. You faced suffering. Thank you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude. Teach us from your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat, everyone. You see, there's a battle going on here. There's a fight taking place. In the circumstances that Jesus is facing, the desires of his heart, there's a battle here. And Jesus teaches us what we can then do when we face hard situations, difficult situations, painful situations, suffering situations, situations that we just don't want to face. Jesus teaches us and he models for us a way to face these situations. We're going to get to that, but before we do, before we look at what Jesus models for us, we need to look at what exactly is it that Jesus is facing? What exactly is it that makes him feel the way that he's feeling, speaking the words that he's feeling? Imagine with me what's going on here. Jesus had just finished the Last Supper, this meal he had with his disciples in a second-story room in Jerusalem. We talked about that last weekend. He just finished that meal, and then Jesus and his disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Luke tells us that this was a regular thing that Jesus and his disciples did. They did this often. They loved this garden. They loved this place. They loved to pray there. And so Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem. They went down this little valley, the Kidron Valley, and then they went up just on the hillside of the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is a garden of olive trees, of olive groves um, on the Mount of Olives. 
And so Jesus goes there. He walks with all of his disciples. Then he says, hey, you guys stop here. Jesus continues on with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And as Jesus is in the garden, he begins to pray. He goes a little bit further. And we're told that Jesus is filled with sorrow. He's sorrowful and he's troubled. And then he says to the three of his disciples, he says this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Why does Jesus feel this way? The word sorrow means inner pain. The word troubled means horror. Jesus at that moment is feeling inner pain. He's feeling horror, shock, horror. Mark tells us that Jesus is astonished. He's surprised at what he's experiencing, what he's feeling right now. And like we just read, Matthew tells us, Jesus says these words, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The internal pain, the internal suffering, the internal sorrow, the horror, the shock, the astonishment seems like it could kill Jesus right on the spot. You see, we know Jesus doesn't exaggerate with his words. He's not exaggerating here. He's telling the truth. Luke tells us that Jesus was in anguish. And as he walked a bit further, he fell onto his face and, and he began praying more earnestly. He was drenched with sweat and the sweat appeared like drops of blood that was falling to the ground. Something put him in shock. And here's the thing. It wasn't only the fact that he was going to die. Because Jesus knew that he was going to die. In fact, he had communicated this reality, this truth, to his disciples multiple times and to many different people that he knew he was going to die. It wasn't dying that pushed him to such extreme sorrow and suffering and pain. There was something more. Something else was going on here. What is it? It was the cup. It was the cup. Jesus' prayer was that the cup would be taken from him that the cup would pass from him. Not death or dying pass from him, but the cup pass from him. Here's the thing. The metaphor of the cup in the Old Testament meant suffering. There was incredible suffering that Jesus was going to be facing here. But the cup in the Old Testament also was in reference to God's divine wrath on sin and wrongdoing. God's divine wrath. Isaiah 51 says, You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. The cup of his wrath that makes people stagger. Jesus was staggering in the garden. He was staggering. He was about to drink this cup, this metaphor he was about to experience the anger, the judgment, the wrath of God towards the sin of the world. And Jesus' prayer was that this punishment from God, this wrath of God that human sin and evil deserves, that this would be the thing that passes from him, that's taken from him. Jesus went to the garden to pray. He was praying, and as he began to experience and know what was in store for him in the next hours, he began to experience the reality of God's necessary justice 
that needed to take place. He began to experience the separation from God, the absolute cruel death that he was going to experience, the suffering, the pain, the betrayal from his friends. He saw all that was in store for him to come, and he just felt like he was going to die. And it wasn't just the physical torture and physical cruelty. It's almost as if Jesus was standing and seeing into hell and the torment and the fury and the wrath of God towards sin, knowing that he would be forsaken as well. If we look forward just a little bit, we know that as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This is the fight that Jesus is experiencing. No one will ever experience this kind of internal battle. No one will ever experience this kind of death. No one will ever experience this. And there was a gap between Jesus' circumstances that he was facing and the desires of his heart that were in conflict. And yet, and yet he still prayed this. He said, yet not as I will, but as you will, God. Not as I will, but as you will. And the second time he prayed, may your will be done. May your will be done. How did Jesus come to this point that he could pray this? How? How could he resist his natural desires? How could he resist this, the temptation from Satan? How could he come to pray this? How could he fight this battle? Here's how he could do this. He fought this fight in the garden the exact same way that he had lived his entire life all along. He fought the fight in the garden the same way that he had lived his entire life all along. He had an undivided heart of complete obedience to God. He prayed honest prayers to his God. He fully surrendered all areas of his life to his Father. This is what Jesus teaches us in this passage. This is what we see. This is what we can learn. So that when we find ourselves in a situation, not exactly like, but in a similar way to what Jesus is facing, that the circumstances, situation we're facing, we, our heart's desires are over here, that we can pray as well, not as I will, but as you will. This is what we learn from Jesus. First of all, Jesus models an undivided heart of devotion to God. An undivided heart. Jesus lived with perfect integrity. Perfect integrity. I mean, who he was with the crowds, and his disciples, exact same way when he was all alone. Who he was in the daylight is exactly the same way that he was in secret when he was all alone in the garden. His life had integrity. He had an undivided heart. Jesus could have easily, think about it, he could so easily have slipped away that night in the garden of Gethsemane. He could have just gone up over the Mount of Olives a short distance away and gone off into the wilderness where he spent 40 days and 40 nights. He could have gotten lost in there and hidden away for a while. He knew that area very well. He could have responded to God and said, God, you have to find another way. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not going ahead with this. He could have done that. But never in his 30 plus years of living 
Did Jesus ever do his own thing? He never did his own agenda. He never took matters into his own hands. He never acted of his own accord. He had complete devotion, complete obedience, an undivided heart of allegiance and devotion to his God. And the way he lived his life was carefully, patiently listening to his father, doing what his father wanted him to do, and his careful obedience in the small things, his careful obedience in the small things made him strong and capable and fortified to be obedient in the big things that he was facing. You see, the temptation he was facing in the garden, that couldn't divide his heart. The fact the reality of suffering before him could not divide his heart. The fact that God would abandon him, forsake him, could not divide his heart. His heart was fully devoted, set on obeying. And the strength of his long life lived with integrity in the small things, not compromising, fortified him for this night that he experienced in the garden. In the garden. A couple of days ago, I went to a grocery store again, this time not for painkillers, but went there to buy some groceries and uh, got a text from my family saying, hey, pick up some candy, you know, so bought some candy for the kids and went to the self-checkout area and um, was, you know, quickly trying to scan all the items and put them in the grocery bags and all of that kind of stuff. And then quickly left the store, went home. And Nadine said, when I got home, well, how much was the candy? And I said, well, about six or seven dollars. And as soon as I said six or seven dollars, I thought, I don't know if I scanned that candy. And I just left it. And I thought, I don't know. And, and it kept nagging at me, right? And so I said, then Nadine, Nadine, do you know where the receipt is for what I just bought? And she said, oh, it's probably in the trash. And so I went underneath the sink and dug in there and pulled out this very, very nasty receipt, you know, from there, and then started to look at it. You know what? I didn't pay for that candy. In the hurry of me scanning items, I didn't pay for it. So then I thought, well, I'm going to go back. Went back there with the candy and this messy receipt and said, hey, you know what? I was here the other day and I was scanning items. I didn't scan this candy. And I said, yeah, I'll help you over here. Everything was great. Left, paid for it. Everything was good. And you know what I thought? We can't compromise, folks. We can't compromise. Even in the things that we might be tempted to think, that's small, that's like five bucks, that's, that doesn't matter a whole lot, that won't matter there, this, this doesn't really you know, count, this is just one, this little thing. We, we sometimes hear these messages in our minds or we think them or we act on them. You see, church, we cannot compromise on the small things. The small things that we know are not right. Because if we compromise on the small things, we may then compromise on the much larger things. Much larger things in life. Is your heart divided at times? Well, you act one way here, you don't act the same way there. In secret, you act like this. In public, you act like this. Is your heart divided? There's no, no one is perfect. No one. Let's just get that clear. No one is perfect. There's no shame here. 
But is your heart fully devoted to God in obeying him? Or are there some things in your life, some areas, some aspects of your life, some people in your life, whatever it might be, are there some things that make your heart divided towards God? Are there some areas that you are just lazy in obeying God, compromising in? What Jesus teaches us here is that he was faithful in all areas of his life. He had an undivided heart, fully devoted to God. And his long life of not compromising enabled him on this night, on this night, to be obedient to his Father. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches us here. The second thing is Jesus models honest prayer. Models honest prayer. I find it so refreshing that Jesus is brutally honest with God. I mean, he tells God honestly where he is at. He pleads with God. He begs God. And he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What he's saying here is, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other option, if there's any other solution, please take this away from me. He expresses his desires. He expresses his longings. He expresses his wishes. He asks God for what he wants. Jesus teaches us that the best way to be with God is to be honest, to be open, to be vulnerable. Tell him what we're going through. That's how Jesus was. He teaches us to be that way. In the passage we read, Jesus spends some time in prayer, then he goes, wakes his disciples up, and then he comes back to prayer and spends some some time praying. But this time, the second time, Jesus' prayer is a little bit different that he prays. This time Jesus prays, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The first time Jesus prays, he says, If it's possible, take this cup from me. Find another way. The second time, Jesus says, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Something changed here in this second prayer that Jesus prays. And it's almost like Jesus is saying this. If there is no other way possible, then don't let me fail you. Don't let me fail to do your will and accomplish my purpose. Something happened between the first time Jesus prayed and the second time Jesus prays. And Luke, the Gospel of Luke, gives us a clue. And this is so beautiful. Luke 22, verse 43, says this, an angel from heaven. Isn't that awesome? An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Because that happened, Then Jesus changes how he prays. And he says, if it is not possible, then don't let me fail your will. Help me accomplish my mission. As Jesus was praying this honest prayer to God, pouring out his heart, pouring out his desire, his father heard him and answered him by sending strength from heaven. Directly from the throne room of God, an angel is sent from heaven, a gift from God, a gift of comfort, a gift of encouragement, a gift of strength, 
a gift of love from his Father. And what we see here then is when we pray honestly before God, when we pray and ask God and, and call out to him, God hears, God knows, God cares, God sees us when we pray. God answers us. God gives. God sends. God strengthens. God encourages. God equips. God responds when we pray. When we pray. When we pray and we come to him as his children, he sends strength to us. He's not distant. He comes to us. He ministers to us. He equips us. He emboldens us and gives us courage. As we pray then, as we pray with undivided hearts, full devotion, as we pray our agenda and our will conforms and aligns to God's will so that we then can pray as well. Not as I will, but as you will. May your will be done. See, last, what we learn from Jesus here, what he teaches us, what he models for us is a life of full surrender. Is a life of full surrender. See, Jesus teaches us what it looks like here to surrender to God's agenda. Jesus knew what he was facing and the emotions and the desires that he was feeling inside of him were intensified. They were becoming loud in his mind and in his heart. And his loud and intense desire was for his father to find another way to find another way of rescuing and redeeming the world. This was his loudest desire, find another way, but it wasn't his deepest desire. Jesus' deepest desire was to obey his Father, was to glorify his Father, was to save humanity. The immediate desire he felt was, I want to be gone from this suffering and this pain. I want to be spared. But his ultimate desire was to spare us, to save us us. See, when we're facing difficult situations, difficult circumstances, pain or suffering, whatever it might be, the loudest desires in our minds, you know, are so prominent in our thinking, in our feeling, in our emotions. When we're in the middle of temptation or in conflict, when we're angry, when we're anxious, loud desires fill our minds. We can't think straight. We make the worst decisions in those situations and circumstances. We maybe hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. We turn on the people we love. But Jesus isn't led by his loudest desires, his most prominent desires. Instead, he surrenders. He says, not what I will, but what you will. He doesn't say to God, God, I disagree with you, but I'm going to let you win this one. No, what we see here is Jesus having an undivided heart, honest prayer, and coming to the place that he says, God, I trust you. I trust in you. No matter what I'm feeling now, I trust in you. It's like Jesus is saying, God, I know you love me. I know your will and your plans are good and perfect and right. I know that. Your desires are what I want my desires to be, my God, my Father. Do now what we both know must be done. Do now what we both know must be done. Not what I will, but what you will. Jesus shows us what a surrendered life, what surrendered praying looks like. 
not suppressing our desires, not ignoring our desires, but surrendering the desires of his heart and his plans to the will of God. See, Jesus prayed three times. He prayed three times. Three times he prayed and surrendered his life, surrendered his heart, surrendered his will. And he crossed the line of no return here in a sense. He crossed the line of no return and he headed straight to the cross, straight to the cross. Where was victory in salvation? When did that happen? Victory in our salvation, when did that take place? We know when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out and said, it is finished. When that, is that when victory, God's victory over sin happened? I think almost just a significant victory happened when Jesus surrendered in the garden. When he surrendered in the garden, because we see just a few verses later on, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to be handed over to sinners now. Rise up. Rise, let's go. Rise, let's go. In that moment, I believe there was victory that took place where Jesus, it's almost like he was waving a massive white flag, a massive white flag. And Jesus surrendered. He surrendered to death. He surrendered to suffering. He surrendered to torture. He surrendered a brutal, cruel death on the cross. He surrendered his whole life. He surrendered his life, waving a big white flag saying, not my will, yours be done. He surrendered his will. He surrendered his affections. He surrendered everything. He surrendered to death. He surrendered to be, to, to be buried. He laid his life on the line. He surrendered. He surrendered. Is there anything in your life that you just need to surrender? Is there anything that you just need to wave a big white flag and say, not my will, not my way, not my plan, not my agenda, not my desires, not me. I surrender me. I surrender I surrender. You see, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says to his disciples, pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And here in the garden, we see Jesus applying that phrase, thy will be done, to the circumstances in his own life. Praying how he taught us to pray. Thy will be done. Is there anything you need to surrender? Is there anything that you need to lay down in your life? Anything you need to lay down in submission to God? What enabled Jesus to surrender was knowing that God loved him. That God loved him. What enables us to surrender to God Surrender in suffering, surrender in pain, surrender in circumstances, surrender, whatever it is, is because we know 
how great God's love is towards us because we see that love displayed in Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. We see what love cost Jesus. Here is, we've already talked about the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus, that Jesus became sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Not that he sinned, but the sin of the world was placed on him so that we could become the righteousness of God. God's love is so great towards us. And because we see how costly God's love is to us, it enables us to be able to surrender to him. To surrender to him. As we've come to the end, I want to invite you to respond in a couple of ways. One way that you may want to respond, we're going to sing a couple of amazing songs. One way you might want to respond is today, pouring out your love and affection to Jesus like you haven't done in a long time, perhaps. Raise your hands, kneel down, bow down as you contemplate what Jesus went through for you. Maybe the appropriate response for you is to just worship him. Let him know today what he means to you. What he means to you. Another way you might want to respond is that each one of our campus locations, South, Airdrie, Bridgeland, Northwest, here, We've got some little flags that are just all across the platform, little flags. Maybe a way for you to respond is to say, today, I surrender. I surrender this to you today. Not my will, not my plan, not my desires, not my agenda, not me. God, I surrender to you today. Come on up as we sing these songs. Take a couple of these flags, head back to your seat, those of you watching online, grab a sticky note, grab a piece of paper. Later today, write down on that little flag a word or a phrase so that you remember it and you keep it. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your purse. Put it in your car. Put it on the nightstand. Put it somewhere where you will see it so that you remind yourself that you live with an undivided heart of devotion to God, praying honest prayers and surrendering your life aspects of your life to him to him respond now in these moments just how God leads you